In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. If one were going to tell a good story, one would have to say that it would be grounded in fact and imbued with meaning. In other words, it first satisfy, satisfies our reason by being grounded in fact. By that, I don't mean that every good story is literally true, but that even if it's fictional, at least it has to have some kind of plausible connection to the truth. Yet a good story must also satisfy our imagination. It must tell us something important about the world that is not apparent from simple experience. It must have a meaning. Let me give you an example. Suppose I started to tell you a story. Once upon a time, there was a farmer who had a family, and a severe drought came over the land, and all of the crops failed. The family had eaten the last of their provisions. They were on the brink of starvation. You might think, that sounds like it could be an interesting story. I wonder how the farmer is going to save his family. Is he going to go on an adventure to the city to find some food for them? Is he going to come up with some clever way to grow something despite the drought? Or is the family going to pray and be visited by an angel bearing foodstuffs? Depending on the type of story, whether it's a religious story or a fairy tale or a morality lesson, any of those could be good plots. But this would not make for a satisfying ending to the story. The farmer and the family decided to stop being so hungry. So they did, and no one starved, and that was the end. That would be completely stupid, because it has no meaning. It has no connection with reality. It's not just factually implausible, it has no larger meaning to impart to us. That's why even science fiction stories and tales about mythological creatures and other made-up things have their virtue in being grounded in some way in actual human experience. Even things that are fantasy are meant to illustrate a larger truth. But by the same token, no one could tell a story in which there was simply a factual recitation of true events without shaping the narrative in some way so that a larger meaning is made evident. Let's say, for example, that you had a camera crew there 2,000 years ago to film a day in the life of Jesus from beginning to end. No editing, no interesting camera work, nothing to highlight anything that was going on, just a film of 24 hours with Jesus. I guarantee you, to someone who was not Christian, to someone who had no prior conception of who Jesus was or what he meant in history, the resulting footage would be as boring as heck. Even if it was a day in the life of Jesus where he performed a miracle or said something very profound. Because without the context of who Jesus is and what he means to us, a literal factual portrayal of his day would simply be dry and meaningless. All drama, all art, all literature is a selective presentation of reality, a representation, or perhaps we could say a representation of truth in a particular form for the sake of conveying a meaning. That's what many people miss when they read the account of the Nativity. They focus on the factual points in the narrative, and they try to consider each one in isolation, as if deciding whether that particular fact or event could be credible. Did Mary really get pregnant by the Holy Spirit? Was Jesus really born in a stable in Bethlehem? 
Did the angels and the shepherds and the wise men really come to adore the infant Jesus in the manger? And a single Christmas season doesn't go by without some talking head on television or someone in the newspaper, perhaps a so-called historian or theologian or perhaps an atheist, trying to tell us that the people in these accounts are simply mythological, that they're just made-up facts. Myth-like details trying to dress up the birth of Christ in order to give it a meaning, to try to connect Jesus to other mythological accounts from ancient times or something like that. Well, they're actually half right. We would do well to remember the words of C.S. Lewis, that the story of Christ is something that we might call a true myth. By that, he doesn't mean a true myth in the way we might think of pagan mythology, made-up stories meant to express some other truth. Rather, Christianity is God expressing his own truth, using real human characters and events as his material. Thus, the accounts of the Nativity and the Gospels introduce us to the truth of Jesus Christ, a truth that is meant not simply to inform us, but to transform us. It is not meant so much to give us facts, though of course it does, and those are important, but to give us the key, the meaning of it all. Jesus is the fulfillment of the promises made to King David, according to the law. Jesus is the fulfillment of every Old Testament promise made to the patriarchs. He is the Son of Man. But he is also born of a virgin, coming into this world by a miracle because God is the God of creation, not bound by any human agency. In this way, the scriptures express to us who Jesus really is, both God and man both contained in history as well as transcending it. Jesus Christ is the person in whom both creator and creation rests. In him, the world is redeemed, both by its own unfolding as well as by the direct hand of God. Unlike a myth, the story of the birth of Jesus doesn't point us to a kind of narrow truth about some other particular person or question or issue, but rather to himself in whom the hope of the world rests. In doing so, the nativity account points us beyond even the person of Jesus Christ considered as truth personified, because it's meant to teach us personally, each one of us, about our relationship to Christ. That's why we learn about Mary and Joseph and the shepherds as well. They are not just background characters, foils for Jesus in the manner of pagan mythology, because Mary is the very model of the Christian life. Her virginity is not just a physical fact about her, although it is that, but it's meant to be an icon of her sinless purity. It's meant to express to the rest of us who are not sinless that it is by keeping all of these things and reflecting upon them in our hearts that we find our own relationship to Jesus. In the same way, Joseph's role in the story is not just to provide a legal father for Jesus. In his doubts and in the assurances that he's given by an angel, to take up the mantle as the guardian of the Holy Family, Joseph is the model of mission. He shows us how we are to respond to the supernatural calling of God in our lives. The shepherds, too, are a model for us. They are an example of those who feel themselves, perhaps even on this Christmas day, too far from God. Those who feel that something separates them from God and they feel outside of his love and his mercy. The shepherds who tended to the sheep in the middle of the night were the outcasts of society. Yet God seeks them out first and foremost. 
His angels shine on those who dwell in darkness. The highest compliment that we can pay to a story is to say that it is engrossing. It draws you in. You don't want to put the, put the book down. You don't want to change the channel. The story changes you because you identify with it so closely that you become invested in the outcome. That's why God has called us here to celebrate this Christmas Mass. In this Mass, we have the Eucharist in order that we might experience this kind of engrossing connection to our Savior, just as those in Bethlehem had the baby Jesus. By this, we might become more like Mary, Joseph, and the shepherds who gazed upon the Christ child and were forever transformed by it. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit.